This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 17. And I often tell my team, can we quantify their EQ? We know they're smart. We know they're successful. But how can we really describe their emotional intelligence and how they develop relationships, how they communicate internally, how they've made decisions, how they've had hard conversations? So we're really trying to get to know the candidates from an EQ perspective. How can you build a long-term relationship with an executive recruiter? What makes a candidate stand out from the crowd? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Justin Hirsch, Chief Executive Officer and HR Executive Search Lead at Jobplex, one of the top emerging leader search firms and part of DHR, which is the leading privately held provider of executive search and leadership consulting that serves clients in more than 50 markets in 22 countries. During his 24 years in executive HR search, Justin has successfully managed over 1,000 mid to senior level placements for Fortune 1,000 clients across all industries. He is, in my opinion, one of the top HR executive recruiters in the emerging leader space, and he's done this by building long-term and trusted relationships with both his clients and candidates. Beyond his exceptional client service, he's known for his sharp business insights and deep expertise in candidate assessment and development. My conversation with Justin today is designed to give next-generation HR leaders a view into the world of executive recruiting. During our conversation, Justin and I will discuss what makes a candidate stand out from the crowd, his advice on what to do if you think you're being ghosted by a recruiter, how to build a long-term relationship with an executive recruiter, the number one source executive recruiters turn to to find talent, hint, it's not just LinkedIn, and his favorite interview questions for candidates, and much more. Justin, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, JP. So Justin, you are known as one of the top HR recruiters for emerging leaders in the business. Tell us more about how you developed your focus and expertise in HR. So I started in a four-person boutique, more of a hybrid retained recruiting firm back in 1998. Focus area was human resources, some work in finance, some work in ops, some work in IT, some work in sales and marketing, but really recognized the value of recruiting in the HR functional space on how folks in, in that space, quite honestly, really were interested in developing a more of an authentic relationship. I, I then recognized some of my best candidates were becoming my clients and best clients were becoming my candidates. I enjoyed the interactive dialogue and the relationship as opposed to just the transaction of recruitment, different functional areas. I also recognized very early in my career the importance of HR leaders in various businesses and the impact they were starting to make. This was the evolution of personnel to HR generalists and HR generalists to HR business partner. So I felt myself as an emerging leader in the functional space, although not in the function myself, supporting the function and really growing with it. A lot of fun, to be honest, and working alongside of 
HR leaders, and then quite honestly, the importance of investing in real relationships in an early part of my career. So you've never actually been in an HR job, but you are one of the best in finding amazing HR talent. Has that been challenging? How have you learned what great HR talent looks like? So HR leaders, as, as you know, especially when they're the emerging HR leaders, come in different shapes and sizes. So what's been interesting about our experience recruiting different levels of leaders, some are classically trained, some are self-trained. We have found the best HR leaders have a great degree of business acumen. It truly differentiates how they communicate, how they operate internally, how they're viewed with their internal customers, and quite honestly, how they really interact with their colleagues. So getting to know HR leaders and really assessing who knows what they're talking about, who's playing the part, but who's really living the part. It's been really interesting. And like I said, different shapes and sizes, different levels. My focus area and where I've really grown up has been that emerging HR leader. And what do you find exciting about that piece? Because you you obviously, as a recruiter, could do finance, and you probably have, and you've done general management or other leadership roles, but you really have found this niche in HR and emerging HR leaders. What's exciting about that space to you? So what's interesting is we're seeing a lot of these HR leaders now are coming up through business, and they're not just coming up through communications, um, through psychology. It's really the evolution of a good HR leader. And quite honestly, they're now speaking differently. They have different expectations on how they really impact the business. And then quite honestly, the better ones have that credibility and are able to be more proactive and play offense. And as they're engaging their internal customers, it's made a really big difference in how they're approaching from a business perspective, not just a people or HR perspective. Let's talk a little more about why a company would use an executive recruiter to fill a critical role. Like what's the advantage of having an executive recruiting firm like JobPlex go out and do a search versus having an internal recruiting team go out and do that exact same search? Yeah, and believe it or not, we work alongside internal teams really well. It's important that our internal partners recognize we're partners and we're not just uh, taking over a search. We're really precise when we hit the markets. We're very good at mapping. We're augmenting our clients' pipelines of prospective candidates, and we're really minimizing the noise, right? When we're retained to partner with different organizations, they recognize, you know, we're doing our job behind the scenes. They're seeing the cream of the crop. They are, quite honestly, only seeing an early shortlist of candidates on a first slate. We calibrate really quickly with them. And then, you know, once again, we're hunting and we're mapping as opposed to just working with applicants and generating a big pool. We're marrying the quality with the speed uh, and optimizing an actual pipeline of candidates. So there's a lot of value to be added by working with the partner exclusively or to augment the current candidate pipeline. That's really helpful. And the reason why I bring that up, because I think sometimes people are, if maybe are having done a lot or have a lot of exposure to executive recruiting firms or why, how they operate, you might think, well, why can't we do that search? And of course you can, but to your point, you're a partner with the company that you're working with. But I think you hit it like precision, speed, and knowing the market. I mean, I've got a director of talent management search. Who do you know? 
you can get a candidate slate faster than my internal executive recruiter can because you know the market. You talk to people. You may have known when they were managers, right? Is that kind of part of the advantage? Yeah. And very rarely are we starting a search from scratch. We talk about leveraging one's cultivated network. So we start with the people we know and we know of. Former clients, former, former placements, current placements. And it really goes to leveraging and tapping the ecosystem of one's network. That's where we start the search. And then we're always adding on, you know, fresh name generation, specific company and industry targeting. So we're, you know, it's not a one specific strategy. It's multifaceted. And, and that's the fun part about each new assignment is going to market strategically. Each one is different. And the net net is we get to tell a different story for each search on behalf of each organization and each assignment. So that's really the fun part of the job. Absolutely. And I think the fact that you're out in the market, you obviously have these relationships, but you guys are always kind of talent scouting, looking for that next generation. And I think the relationships that come from that are pretty powerful. In fact, that's how we know each other, right? I was a candidate for you many, many moons ago, and we have stayed friends. Let's, and you were I'm, a I'm fairly strong candidate back then too, let me add. Fairly strong candidates. I saw some unique talents and and some reasonable acumen. So I, I chose to make the investment back then too. I think we got that right. I appreciate that. And I think the feeling's very mutual. Let's talk a little about the executive recruiting industry can also have some, you know, misconceptions about it. What's one thing about the executive recruiting industry that you would change? So a lot of people think the executive recruiting industry is run by partners and client partners who are just getting the work and managing the clients. I think quite honestly, there's less of an investment holistically in that next level of employee, the associate, the senior associate, and the principal. And when you really peel back layers of the onion, the associate, senior associate principal, very often at big firms, at small firms, are really doing the first reach out, whether it's via LinkedIn, whether it's a cold call, whether it's chasing down a referral. So those young associates who are go-getters typically are not classically trained. So executive search professionals, once again, are, are known to be those who are managing clients and making it rain. But those associates need to be invested in. And uh, we've studied associate developments, career pathing, engagement, and ownership. And quite honestly, it's a difference maker when associates are trained, they understand best practices. They also understand that each reach out can be a relationship, not just a transaction. And we always say, you can go fast alone, but you go farther together. So it's really a team sport. Really is. It really is. I love the idea of investing more in that early career talent that really makes the executive recruiting industry hum. So speaking about that, he talked about building relationships. We've obviously known each other for, for 10 years or so. Um, what should a next generation HR leader really know about working with an executive recruiter? What are the do's and what are the don'ts? So first and foremost, we're a partner. We're a partner to our client. We're a partner to our candidate. So there are no sides, no sides. It's a one team approach. And we always talk to our clients about earning trust. It goes the same with our prospective candidates. We like to earn trust with our candidates too. 
whether they're brand new to us, whether we know them. It's important that it's an interactive experience as opposed to transactional. Going through one's resume is helpful, but really bringing it to life. So lots of candidates initially believe in sides. You're working for your client. Are you working for me? So we break down those barriers. So really the do is to lead with trust and recognize there are no sides. And the more we know, the more helpful we can be to both them, our candidate, and also our client as we communicate very openly. No sales process. Uh, lots of the don'ts feel like sides and secrecy and surprises. And that never ends well. Just doesn't. What's that look like when someone really breaks the trust with an executive recruiter? Yeah, so it, it's a great question. You know, it typically happens most often when a passive candidate is just interested to see what the market's going to bear. She or he gets down into the process a long way and is just curious and maybe just shopping for a counter offer and is a little bit disingenuous as to why they've engaged with us on a slate and then become a finalist. Um, we typically vet, you know, the right reasons, prospective candidates want to make a career move and not just a job change. So never really breaking down that barrier of intent. And then at the finish line, the band-aid gets ripped off where we, we thought there were the intentions to see it through and really make the move, but it was really maybe a shock for a counter offer, maybe a, a little bit of smoke with the mirrors that kind of show at the finish line, which you know, we remember too. We really do. I think in that example, which I have seen play out from the actual recruiting side internally, where sometimes candidates go wrong is just to your point of not being open and saying, hey, this is where my head is at. I'm not really sure. It's okay not to want to take the job, but to say, look, I need to be convinced a little bit, right? And let the recruiter talk with you about that. So you yep. don't get to the final dance and you're at the altar and they say to death, do you part? And you say, oh, actually, I was kidding. <laughs> right? Well, and what we've done to course correct that, yes, we lead with trust. But in the process, we're always auditing and double checking and we're verifying. So we have something at JobPlex, we call it trust, audit, verify. Right? So, you know, proud to say we, we rarely get surprised at the finish line. But it's a really important part of the process. As I said earlier, we're cultivating relationships. These are not transactions. Very often, we will recruit candidates that we don't place the first time around, but we'll have them in mind. We'll develop nice relationships. It'll be an ongoing process in which we'll keep them in mind for other new searches that we don't even have yet in the pipeline. So it's important from our client's perspective our candidate's perspective and ours, it's a midterm mindset. It's not just a kiss and run or a one and done. That's a really important point to think about this longer term relationship and how do you build that. Do you find that, I guess, is that a typical perspective to think it is kind of transactional with recruiters or do you find that most people are thinking more long term? I think typically um, the industry is known to be more transactional. It really is. And I think candidates recognize when they're reached out to, it's for an assignment and do they fit and can I have your resume? Clients, and we run a retained practice, so it's a bit different with us, but clients oftentimes would retain us to fill one assignment. But we're constantly reminding both parties, we are here to serve you holistically. 
to get to know your business. And from a candid perspective, we are here to get to know you holistically, not just your pedigree, but what's important to you, what you like to do, where you want to work. So we're really good about reframing that because oftentimes it does start from a transactional perspective. So we often effort to up-level it to be more relational out of the gate. We have retained searches and non-retained searches, right? A retained search for people listening to me aren't familiar. means there's a guaranteed contract that Justin or another executive recruiting firm is going to get paid for that search, whether they fill it or not. They are the only person going after that search. A contingent search might mean someone, there are multiple people who could fill that role, even the internal company. So a retained search is better. And that's a question that a candidate you should ask. Hey, is this a retained search? And typically you have a little more leverage there. But secondly, if you build that relationship, what's your advice to candidates, Justin, who say, well, you know, I thought we was going really well. I got really far in the interview and I didn't get the job. What do you say to people when that happens? So we're constructive with candidates. We're constructive. And oftentimes great candidates don't get the job. We have them on the slate for for a variety of reasons. Some clients are comfortable with us providing specific feedback. Others, you know, like us to keep it general. We're typically constructive and honest. And then oftentimes we effort to make sure they recognize it's not that personal. It comes down to fit and timing and level, expertise and acumen. So it's both an objective process of assessment. And there's, of course, still some subjectivity on personality and style and fit. So even in the closeout, we effort to maintain the relationship and provide some context as to why. So people feel good about the process. People are investing their time in interviewing and doing their homework, and we just make sure they feel a certain way. The candidate experience is still very much underrated. It is. And it's something we at JobPlex always have in mind, that candidate experience. Going back to how I grew up, our best candidates oftentimes become our clients. They remember how they were treated in the process, both by our clients and our team of recruiters. So once again, it goes back to it's a relationship, not a transaction. Yeah, I love how you talked about candidate experience because let's be honest and transparent, ghosting candidates is real and it happens. I've been ghosted. I'm sure many people listening right now have been ghosted by recruiters. And it's a little bit shocking. I think it's when it's an executive level. I'm curious your perspective on it. Like, why is that happening? Is it happening? Is it just on LinkedIn? What are your thoughts on ghosting? So ghosting is, it's a loaded word, right? So it just really is. Oftentimes, people in our industry move on quickly from an associate up to a a partner when a candidate is no longer viable on a slate. I think it continues to be an issue as the candidate experience, once again, is underrated. But the important part about the process that we've reframed is engaging each candidate throughout that life cycle, whether they get the job or they don't, which means every candidate on a slate, from our perspective, needs to be closed out the right way and informed. And from a candidate's perspective, if a recruiter isn't following up, one of my best phrases in which we lob it an email or a text is just checking in to follow up. What are your thoughts? What's the status? And it oftentimes will lead to 
a recruiter then providing a status update, positive, negative, or neutral. Recruiters get busy. Recruiters sometimes are short-sighted and just kind of eating what's on their plate and what's most important for them to drive forward from a slate perspective. And they sometimes do lose track of the overarching slate of candidates. So ghosting is a little bit unintentional. There are a number of loose ends. There are ways to close the loop. I think it's more clumsy over being personal, where people get busy. So from a candidate's perspective, the next time you feel you've been ghosted, try lobbying in an email, just checking in to follow up. Great and advice. And with the question. And that'll hopefully close the loop for you. Obviously, it's not that recruiters are always ghosting the candidates. Candidates ghost a lots of companies. It goes both ways. Great advice, though, to just check in and say, hey, how are things going? The other thing I would just add, I mean, it, you can feel like an eternity. If you're excited about a job or a role, you know, and you're really hoping to land it and you don't hear back for a few weeks, you know, gosh, that can take a long time. What's happening? People, what I think they may not realize on your end, as especially being the executive recruiter, you're waiting for things to happen on the company side too, right? So it's not that it's not your timeline sometimes. It might be a company timeline. There may be other things happening. It could be a board meeting, it could be an important quarter end, whatever, right? And so it's pushing things back, which is why the process can take a long time. And I think sometimes people feel like, am I being ghosted or ignored? Yeah. And recognize when you're a prospective candidate, you're typically one of a handful. Right. So I do think it's fair to understand where the process is at, beginning, middle, or ends. How many candidates might still be in the mix is a fair question to ask where you stand. And quite honestly, as the candidate, it's fair to check in. I think recruiters are doing a better job of communicating uh, during the interim period because things do take time, time to fill different shapes and sizes and timeframes for different, different clients and different processes and different levels of roles. But recognize when there's silence, it doesn't mean it's bad news. It just means the process is ongoing. But I do think it's fair to recognize or even to ask where are you at in the process? Where am I am? Where am I from a candidate's perspective on your slates? We get asked that often and we say, hey, you're, you know, you're one of a few right now. We're on our way to really building our short list and you're going to be a finalist. We communicate openly with our candidates as it's important to set expectations. People really appreciate when you set expectations and you frame it out for them. Puts them at ease. Both from a candidate perspective, we do the same with our clients too. Here's our short list. Here are our thoughts. Here's what we hear behind the scenes. So it's over communication during the process to provide context to both parties because once again, there are no sides. I think it's another great question or a tip that you have there really is just to ask the recruiter point blank, where am I in the slate? But that seems like a great question just to ask. I just want to know, do I have a shot at this thing or am I still in the running? And hopefully the right recruiter will be honest and not saying you're the one, you're the only one, you're the finalist. The right recruiter will say, hey, you're doing really well. I'm thrilled to have you in the process. Client continues to be interested. We're talking to a few others. We'll keep you posted. Let's stay connected. A lot of phone calls, a lot of email. We've seen the emerging leader level candidate on our slates really communicate efficiently via text. I'd say right now, more than 40% of my interim communication is done via text. 
So a lot of email, a lot of phone calls. We're all busy. We recognize our candidates have day jobs because we recruit gainfully employed candidates for the most part. Our clients are busy too. That's why we're on retainer. So very often a quick touch base text to check in and then a five or 10 minute phone call. Not every phone call needs to be 30 to 45 minutes. Right. Before we leave this topic, I want to know what's your advice to a next generation HR leader who wants to build a relationship with an executive recruiter? What are one or two things they should do to build that longer term relationship? Yeah, I think, it, again, it starts with trust and recognizing just because a recruiter has a job at that moment in time, it doesn't mean it has to be the job or the only job. So engage the recruiter with a mid to long-term mindset that you're starting to build a relationship as opposed to just sharing your resume for that particular assignment. Recruiters actually appreciate if and when you approach them holistically. And that relationship out of the gate doesn't need to be monetized with a search or a project or a placement made. So recognize that we too want to develop a relationship, get to know prospective candidates. It'd be great if that candidate the first time is a spot on fit for a particular search, but recognize that we too really want to invest in the relationship and not just trade it as a transaction. So you're starting to hear a theme on how to engage and how we like to work. Definitely relationship and building that over time is really important. And that trust is that foundation. All right, switching gears, I've got a question for you. Fact or fiction, Justin? LinkedIn is the number one source where executive recruiters find new talent. Fact or fiction? LinkedIn is the number one source where executive recruiters find new talent. So I'm going to go fiction. But there's some fact in that fiction. How's that for an answer? Well, this is a little bit like you're trying to get both answers here. I mean, you got to pick one. So, no, I'm just kidding. It's I'm perfect. Gonna, All right. I'm so gonna fiction. Back to fiction. I'm going to go fiction because although, although the mapping and the engagement often starts on LinkedIn, very quickly, we effort to get it off of LinkedIn by leveraging that network, by word of mouth, by asking for referrals, and most importantly, telling the story that quite honestly cannot be told via LinkedIn messaging and or connectivity. So the fiction really is, it's not all about LinkedIn. It's not. It can start on LinkedIn. The fact really is, it's about the storytell, the relationship, the word of mouth, the asking for referrals, the good old fashioned phone call where we get it off of text, we get it off of email, we get it off of LinkedIn. And five minutes with a quick touch-based phone call very often creates the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So we call it spider webbing, who knows who, and you'd be surprised how many folks would like to help you once you really cultivate that relationship, leverage it, and storytell, which quite honestly really is off of LinkedIn. All right, so fiction for LinkedIn is number one source. It does start there, you're right. But I think what you just so eloquently described is the fact that there's lots of opportunities, but why is this a great opportunity for you? And that really requires an executive recruiter to be able to tell that story, talk about the passion, and get to know the whole person and say, is this really a good fit? 
And the best recruiters do that. And you can tell they really are like, hey, I want to get to know who you are. And this has got to be a win-win. The other piece I think is really important, and my tip for how to work with executive recruiters is that I, every time I get an email for a search and they ask, hey, I've got this great job. And I say, hey, I'm not interested right now. Here are two or three people that you should talk to or think about. I always try to give a couple of names that I think they may want to go think about and could maybe do that role. Because I know the recruiters are looking at that. They're looking at who's top talent, who also maybe thinks or has the same background that I have. And so it could be very helpful that way. But it's also, Justin, tell me if I'm wrong here, there's something called a backdoor reference in recruiting that maybe not everyone who's listening knows about, right? Tell us more about what backdoor references are and how that does get utilized in the real world. That's tricky. And we oftentimes very quickly recognize who knows who, who's connected to who. It needs to be carefully worded and approached, right? Whether we're doing so or a client is asking us to do. Typically, a reference list is one provided by a candidate that checks out the majority of the time as a candidate is one who's personally picking out who she or he's references really are. The backdoor reference really is what we call off list. Maybe someone who knows of, who used to work with in a previous role or previous company or similar function, or maybe even a, a current a current job or current company. And those are trickier because that got to watch the confidentiality. Quite honestly, we're very careful with that. We like everything that is above board, but those do exist. And, you know, once again, it goes back to the importance of one's brand and key relationships that they have in the company and how they're known. It really does. It really does. And so having good relations with executive recruiters, building those relationships and knowing that they probably know people who know you and they may have talked about you, even if you were not applying for that job, just over time, they're like, oh, I know of this candidate for years and years. We've worked together. I've met them multiple times. Right, Justin? That goes back to the word of mouth too. People know people. People remember who they work with that they enjoyed. And it works the other way too. People remember who they work with that they didn't enjoy. And exactly. Word of mouth. You know, we like to, as much as we like to talk, we're even better listeners. We really are. Is that fact or fiction? That's all fact, JP. There's no fiction there. Better listeners than talkers. At least I, the I think best that's recruiters true. are. Yeah, I think you're right. The best recruiters are great listeners and they really are listening for things, which is a great segue to the next question I've got for you. So over your career, you actually led and closed about a thousand searches. I'm not sure it's completely documented. I'd like to see the documentation on this. I do believe it though. You've been doing this for a long time. How do you assess next-gen HR leadership talent? What makes a candidate stand out from others? The math does check out, by the way. So this is year 25. So it's been a great run from 1998, but we can do the math later together. And yeah, we have a lot of context and data on how candidates really stand out for us. We're great about going through their resumes and their backgrounds and their pedigrees, but we really try to go beyond. And we effort to ask questions that demonstrate bias for action, thinking big, earning trust, and really effort to get to know them holistically. And I often tell my team, can we quantify their EQ? We know they're smart. We know they're successful. But how can we really describe their 
emotional intelligence and how they develop relationships, how they communicate internally, how they've made decisions, how they've had hard conversations. So it's, it's really beyond the pedigree and beyond the resume. And it really does come down to more about tell me about a time when, how did you make a decision? Where were you uncomfortable? how they perceive. So we're really trying to get to know the candidate from an EQ perspective, not just a pedigree or an IQ perspective. And that's interesting. It takes a lot of time. And those candidates differentiate themselves, great communication skills, demonstrating wonderful peripheral vision where they problem solve. And they're not just being a tactical or an operational generalist. So it's something where there's the art and the science and how we assess, quite honestly. And from a candidate's perspective, we always encourage a candidate to talk about their background, but really help us understand how they're wired, how they do business. And it really does help to differentiate. Knowing how you have spent so much time interviewing candidates, what are your favorite or go-to interview questions that you like to ask candidates? So, Staying pretty consistent with my and our focus on a candidate's business acumen, one of my favorite questions to ask, especially the emerging HR leader business partner candidate, is how do you best leverage metrics and data to influence and to drive business outcomes, not just, not just representing the people? in the process. So you learn a lot on how candidates leverage metrics and data, how they speak. Lots of candidates are uncomfortable. They really are. And it, they're a product of their own ecosystems because oftentimes some of their current companies don't really expect them to speak in terms of leveraging great metrics and data. Other times, you can tell when they're in a company with an expectation on driving business results through metrics and data. So it's something where, quite honestly, the right candidate is able to articulate clearly and others get uncomfortable. So it's something we really look for going back to the space. So it sounds like for somebody to be really successful, stand out and answer that question well, they've got to think more about how to whatever you're doing in HR how that impacts the business or even people metrics, but somehow get to metrics, whether we're talking about turnover, employee engagement scores, even better profit and loss, right? Things like that, EBITDA, right? How do you get closer to the business metrics is really important. We're, Justin, even what starting, have, to yeah. see, we're starting to see resumes with more numbers in them. We are, as opposed to just responsibilities and duties. We're looking for metrics and data points in resumes. What was improved? How was the bar raised? What percentage by? It's interesting you know, even how metrics are worked into one's resume more so than ever. I think the business, you know, business itself and leaders are expecting more from HR. They're expecting us to have more impact. And that's great. That's trickling down into the resumes that you're seeing. All right, last question for you, Justin. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? So I'm going to go phrase. 
And we believe the future of HR and really from an emerging HR leader candidate perspective, which is my viewpoints, those are really becoming true HR business partners where the best HR leaders are truly embedded in the business from a strategic perspective. Some of our candidates that we recruit, you wouldn't even think they're HR leaders. You'd think they're line leaders on how they communicate from a business perspective. So we really believe the future of HR will be more closely aligned to folks with MBAs, with business degrees, with interests in marketing, in finance, economics, operations, absolutely the communication and the psychology part of human resources will still be very prevalent. But really becoming a true business partner in the functional space, becoming an extension of the CEO in her or his direct report team, BU leaders, being embedded in the business. That's where we believe the future will be. Future of HR, being a true HR business partner. Justin, thanks for the masterclass and executive recruiting. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, JP. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Justin for sharing his insights on how to build long-term relationships with executive recruiters and how to stand out from the crowd. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and please help us spread the word to other next-gen HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Dr. Sergey Gorbatov, who writes, speaks, and teaches about the complex science of human performance and careers, all by making it simple. He's also co-author of Fair Talk, Three Steps to Powerful Feedback with Angela Lane. When he's not writing, teaching, or researching, he's an area HR director for LATAM at AbbVie. In our conversation, Sergey and I will go deep on his research on personal branding, the three factors that determine how much your personal brand is worth, and the importance of standing out while still fitting in. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.